Sometimes when we talk We don't know what the fuck So we have to call and ask a friend I wanna know the things you know It'll make a better show You're the one on whom we Hey on fuckers, it's your boy Max. I have a very special edition of Phone a Friend today. Didn't even tease it in the name of the show. Because it's that special. This is big. What's even different than most other Phone of Friends is I actually have the guest right here in the studio with me. Didn't think I'd actually get to meet this person in person, even though... I've known this person for more than 20 years. This is my brother. This is my, my dear friend. We've, we're there for each other's children, but not all of his. It's the great Manny Faces. What's up, Manny? Air horn noises. Will you put those in afterwards? Sure. This is sort of meta, huh? Yeah. Yeah. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing okay. Just okay? These days, okay is great. Okay, so you're in New- Nueva York. Yeah. You're here for us. I am. Tell me, first of all, what are you doing here? <laughs> to what do we owe this unbelievable surprise that we had to do a phone a friend? Well, I appreciate it. We should just have phones. We should be holding a phone. Okay. Yeah, it would be good for aesthetics. Uh, I'm here because, well, for a few reasons, but I, I, uh, I produce another podcast called Hip Hop Can Save America. What? Yes, I don't know if you've heard of it. And apparently... The Signal Awards, the big podcast award organization, uh, felt it uh, was worthy of being selected as a finalist in the music category for their big uh, yearly event. So we put that out in the newsletter. So unfuckers should be familiar with the fact that Manny just won not a Signal Award, another Signal Award. Right. So last year, Newsbeat won uh, the uh, politics and news category. We were uh, bronze, which was basically third, but certainly with all the ones being Entered. That's fantastic. We were up there with like Al Jazeera and some, I think some NPR outlet, you know, so quality stuff. Uh, and then this year for hip hop can save America in the music category. Uh, and again, up against some NPR affiliated show and pretty high praise for the outfits that I work with and work on. So, so what I thought was really cool about Signal Awards is that it's the listeners choice awards. The only part of it that was actually voted on. Right. Well, they do both. So you can. So we so we we got a bronze award in the category. So on its merits, there are judges and we actually won that. You know, so we won an award. We were, you know, tied for third. It was weird. There's the winner was silver, but then the other two were tied for bronze. It was like no gold. It's weird. I call so, bullshit. I yeah, smell a rat. I just say we're tied for second. So <laughs> which is great. And then on top of that, each category is they basically do a, a vote, uh, a listener's choice award. I know some of the unfuckers voted uh, some of the. Hick says voted. I don't have a cool saying for my listeners like you do. <laughs> so, I got to figure that out. <laughs> is the acronym. It doesn't work as well as on It's going to be a long hour. Yeah. So anyway, so I'm here for that. Uh, they're doing a, you know, kind of a gathering of finalists and winners. And I want to show my face. Shouts to my eternal consulting producer, Summer. Uh, she's, she's from up here. So figured, hey, let's go to this thing and dress to the nines and. 
and flaunt about our bronze prize in the music category. Well, I love it, man. Yep. I'm so happy. I'm always happy to see you. It's been uh, it's been weird not having you in New York, uh, even though you were in New Jersey for a little while. I don't count those years. I still call them New York years because, you know, everybody knows how I feel about New Jersey. <laughs> so um, we have a couple of areas of intersection between Hip Hop Can Save America and what we're doing on, on Fucking the Republic. And certainly uh, what you produce with Newsbeat, uh, as we've been able to collaborate with them a few times. I have a, actually a lot of political-oriented questions and, mm-hmm. and topics that I want to get to with respect to uh, black culture is seen through the lens of hip-hop. So I think that we can have kind of a spirited dialogue there. Let's just start with this concept, first and foremost, that hip-hop can save America. You had a great response to a listener that had written in, about, you know, I know you say hip hop can save America. I don't want to cast everything out about the entire platform, but, you know, rap music contains so much homophobia and misogyny. I have a, I have a hard time wrapping my head around that. Your response to that, not only was it wonderful, wonderful enough that the listener wrote in and thank you for it. Right. It actually got to something that I conflate all the time. And I was wondering if you could start with the premise that hip hop as culture, right. rap music, as a piece of that culture and just sort of unpack some of the, not misunderstandings, but some of the misconceptions that, that are, are misconstrued between the two of them. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's at the core of it, right? The confusion is that for those not familiar with the culture, you know hip hop as the genre. It's the same name, right? It's, that's, the, that's the weird thing about it, you right. know, the, because it's, it has the same name. So they often get conflated. Hip hop, as, as I explained in that response, you know, hip hop is a culture. It's not because I want it to be one, right? This is something that's basically been defined by the dictionary, you know, what culture is, a collection of social norms, a collection of traditions that are passed down. All the things that are culture, hip hop has, has these things. So if you look in the dictionary, if you go to academia, you know, Cornell has a wonderful collection, an archive, a hip hop collection. If you look at their wording and it's the we archive artifacts from within the culture of hip hop. Yale University, you know, all these academic, uh, the Smithsonian calls it a culture. The U.S. Department of State has a program called Next Level where they send hip hop artists, teaching artists, basically uh, an MC, a DJ, a dancer, a graffiti writer, a visual artist out to different parts of the world as cultural ambassadors. Hmm. The city of Paris, France has a funded a giant hip hop culture sense called in France. I don't like culture, blah, blah, blah. I don't, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's called the hip hop culture center. So all of these institutions, these legacy institutions, which on one hand, who cares what a legacy institution says about hip hop? We could talk about that. But on the other hand, okay, this is a culture. It's recognized as such most important by the participants or the citizens of that culture. If enough people get together and say, we have a culture, we have a culture. So within that culture is everything culture would have, you know, traditions, language, stories, different kind of cultural attachments, fashion, style, and, and ways of doing things. These things get passed down just like any other, any other culture. But we also have an entertainment aspect, just like any culture would. Every, if you think about your ethnicity or, you know, where your background is, you all have traditional songs, traditional dance, traditional ways of, of poetry or speaking. Well, hip hop has that too. The fact that that entertainment aspect of hip hop and more specifically the rap element of it has been so commodified and so front and center, that's all people think of when they think right. of hip hop and or rap is the rap music that they know 
either that was on the radio or that they knew in college or growing up or whatever. So if most of, if any anybody just even remotely familiar with rap culture has an idea of the origin stories in and around the boroughs of New York and a little bit out on the West Coast, but we all have some sort of idea of the origin stories of where it started with, let's say, Cool Herc and you know, stealing electricity off of the pole <laughs> to have, you know, dances right. and had set DJs up. Like, I mean, yep. really cool origin stories to the music part of it. Is there in, in the scholarship of hip hop today, mm-hmm. is there an, an understanding or a consensus that rap was born within hip hop culture or right. rap is the genesis of <laughs> hip hop culture? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's a good debate, you know, chicken egg, you know, in a way, what came first, what came, you know, uh, in fact, the Cool Herc story, the origin story, is widely acknowledged, but no, nothing as large as a social movement, a genre of music, a culture could have a single point of origin. There's no, there can't be a big bang that hip hop was invented in Cool Herc's, you know, in the basement know, of man. the apartment. I'm going through the history of Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, and right. they all have like really they, specific <laughs> ideas of when shit started. They, so they got just, a guy. I'm getting kind of fucked up here. <laughs> they got a guy, and he was it. <laughs> True, I guess, but Jesus's whole thing, and I'm not the best expert, you know, there was a bunch of stuff that happened in- No, let's not, I'm begging you. No, I'm, I'm saying- so deep into it. <laughs> but there's an Old Testament <laughs> that led up to, yes, to yes. him. So if, without all that, he's kind of, he's pimping off the Old Testament a little bit, you know, so in the same way that hip hop is an amalgamation. Has anybody ever said the phrase pimping off the Old Testament? <laughs> I just, I need to know, because if not, we're making shirts. It's a quotable. So in the same way- <laughs> Hip hop is absolutely sort of an amalgamation of all these different cultural influences from, you know, worldwide. And Kuhark was Jamaican, and they love to say that there was a whole Jamaican sound clash, you know, whole, you know, whole, and the DJing, you know, was was Jamaican culture. But you got to look at the American influences when you go back to the Last Poets, you go back to, you know, uh, uh, Cab Calloway, you go back to James Brown, you go back to, and then you can go back to Africa, the place. The cradle of civilization and and the griots, you know, from from back in the days. And so the drum circles, all that stuff. So we're talking about hundreds of years of kind of coalescing diasporic influence that then flash pans in New York City in the 70s. Again, over the course of some you know months and years that is recognized because you need a birthday mm. as August 11, 1973. Cool Herc does a part. Actually, his sister, Cindy Campbell organizes the party. It's back to school jam. So give credit to the women, right? That's the, the real origin story. She put together a party. Her brother DJed it. And that became sort of the spiritual or the emotional touch point where music was being played. Cool Herc was playing the breaks. There were dancers. There might have been someone on the mic kind of hyping the crowd at that party. And that became sort of the symbolic uh, Genesis. Is that one of those parties where there were in reality like 250 people there, but like 3,500 <laughs> people have given an account of being at that original party? I've heard such things. I've also heard that it it also got like so big that it uh, was too big for the rec room inside and it spilled out into the streets. You know, so that's part of the problem. And it's a longer conversation about, as you said, hip hop scholarship. Did anybody but, ascend you know. to heaven that night that we know of? Uh, no, but I think um, I think there was a a, a baptism. Uh, of some some sort. No, you know, it was just, again, in history, there was a flyer that everyone's seen, this like kind of handwritten flyer that if you look into it, and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from memory here, but it's not the actual flyer. It was something that was created later, but now attributed to it. 
So there's a lot of things happening in this in this culture that are now being archaeologically, you know, <laughs> investigated right. and not taken as fact as you might have you know, suggested. Okay, know, suggest. so let's let's have the the conversation of the obvious intersection there to ask about race, perceived race, and then mm. whose culture ethnically, nationally is aligned with hip hop culture. So how do we put the black experience in, in the United States into that context? How do we talk about if a white person coming into this culture is a participant in that culture, is that co-opting it or is hip hop inviting of all perceived, you know, ethnicities, races, nationalities into the culture? Right. Which was my point that was being not, you know, contested, but, you know, saying I called it a very, I called it a very inclusive, perhaps the most inclusive uh, culture, social movement in the world ever. We'll come back to that. So first and foremost, and again, this is currently being debated or I don't say debated, argued, investigated. So hip hop is a black American creation. There's some discussion as to how Are much. Are you talking about the music now? I'm talking about. The, or the culture. Both. Okay. To be, you know, generally speaking. Yeah. So when you talk about the music and how the music evolved from soul and disco and then the rapping from these parties, these were, for the most part, black New Yorkers in the 70s, you know, late 60s, early 70s. Now, there's some debate as to, because certainly Latino, Puerto Ricans, they were there rocking, doing their thing too. Obviously, you, it's a lot of people early breaking. You would think of, you know, you think of- Electric Boogaloo. Right. And you think of Hispanic folk, you know, Latinos yeah. getting down. Absolutely. They're early and involved in the beginnings of the culture and the way the that I interpreted movements. it is yeah. if you were willing to get on the floor, then you were part of the black hip hop movement. But if you just popped or locked, you were probably <laughs> from the from the Latin expression of it. I mean, that some <laughs> right. So some would have those. So and again, so there's actually sort of a little bit of a heated debate and it's a little bit divisive within you know, all these things have little things within them, whether to give credit as co-creators. Mm hmm to the Latinos, Hispanics that were in the area as well. Makes sense. And, and so there's an argument that we were there from the beginning. They're like, oh, you were there from the beginning, but we were the <laughs> beginning. So there's a whole thing. But primarily, so what I usually say when I do talks or whatever is, and must not be forgotten, created by black and brown Americans, right? Has to be said. And because in this, in this country, we have a, a you know, wonderful history of whitewashing everything that black and brown people have made artistically, you know, from rock and roll to everything else. So You know, and I think part of that is the, I think part of the conflation in the minds of people that are just observers and not part of the culture mm -hmm. is it's the same co-opting of a music culture right. such as jazz or the blues right. or or what have you. And that's why I think, like I said, even I get lazy about my interpretation and, and conflation of rap and hip hop. So breaking right. it out as a culture is really interesting, but trying to understand the intersection be between this was something that is its origins are in the black and brown people yep. of this country specifically, mm -hmm. but it doesn't belong to all, not all black and brown people are part of hip hop culture. That's that doesn't right. necessarily have to be that either. Right. right. I mean, yeah, am I, I thinking I, about that correctly? Yes. I think like, so like there's, there's now because it's evolved. So we're talking about 50 years now, hip hop has mm -hmm. been around for 50 years in some form or fashion, again, from this, this origin point that there was some hip hop elements that were coalescing before some that didn't come till later. You didn't have commercial rap. I mean, rapper's delight was 1979. So you have this wide gap of time before it really has this arc of coming together, right? Is that considered the first pop hit? It's first crossover hit? Yes. Well, uh, it may, I don't know if it's the first recorded, like actual, like rap album. There's been rap in music. Uh, if you go back to the Fatback Band, 
They have a song called Kim Tim the Third. You just clap your hands and you stomp your feet because you're listening to the sound of the show shot beat. I'm the K-I-N-G, the G-I-M, King Tim the Third, and I am him, just me, Fat Fat, and the crew, we're doing it all. Pigfoot. Uh, I can't remember the name. You, you guys can Google it. But there's been other rapish kind of rap. of rap. Sure. In, yeah. But as a as a record that's just rap, and certainly the one that you know, obviously, like Gil Heron took off. Uh, yeah, yeah. Gil Scott Heron. You know, does uh, you know, that's more like spoken word. Last mm-hmm. poets were spoken word. So some of these, but so 1979 rap was like was the next sort of genesis, right? The next launching point. But I say all that to say, to me, there's this sort of Venn diagram. You know, black culture actual black culture right mm-hmm. which is a, a separate thing and hip-hop culture and most of it is kind of intertwined we get hip-hop culture from black culture it's you know all the sayings that you hear and all the right you know it comes from there kind of either evolves into the music and it's amplified so every saying you get you know it's all good yes queen all that stuff like you know whatever you might hear that's a black expression usually gets amplified through the music and or or the musicians like i say you know now we got reality tv stars who are rappers but you get cardi b from love and hip-hop you don't and then you get cardi b's music but it's still hip-hop culture but it's still black culture it's still hispanic culture so there's this mixture of all things but on the other part of that hip-hop side of the venn diagram are people who are not black who are not hispanic who are not um of the traditional the communities from whence hip-hop came traditionally and and they are participants if not and you know, sometimes, you know, monetarily, they're business people, they're execs, you know, or whatever, you know, they kind of run the music business. They're not the real people in that diagram. The real people are people like me, people that come from different demographics, different backgrounds, and they authentically connect with the artistic, linguistic, stylistic, all the things that make that culture a culture. And they connect authentically. Now, if you pick me up as a baby and in America, I'm born here and you, and my Family lives in Japan. We live in Tokyo for whatever reason. And as a baby, I grew up in Japan. And for 20 years, I'm in Japan. As a 21-year-old, I'm Japanese culture. I'm immersed. I don't know anything else. This is my life. This is what I'm connected to. I'm not Japanese by heritage, by, you know, by blood. But I'm pretty Japanese, you know, culturally. Right, right. Now, I could abuse that. I could, you know, misappropriate that. See, cultural appropriate, we use that term cultural appropriation, but I always think it's more like it should be cultural misappropriation, right? We all appropriate culture. Everyone does. in, in, in Cultural everyone. assimilation. Sure. So, but so, so in the same way, if you're culturally, you know, aligned, immersed as I would be in Japan, if you're immersed in hip hop culture, if you're really authentically connected to that, then you're a part of this culture, regardless of your Skin tone, background, ethnicity. Proof of this is that it's worldwide. There's hip hop everywhere. So how can we discount cultural citizens, participants that live in France and Germany and Peru and Australia? There's literally, I looked at it, there's a whole list of, you know, like all the countries in the world. And there's one I didn't, I never heard of. And I, I, I didn't even know this is a country. I, don't, I couldn't even tell you right now. It starts with a V. That's all I remember. And it's like somewhere in the, you know, like, and there's like the South Philippines, all the island nations. Happens, happens. There's a lot of countries. Okay. Right? It's like asking, you know, what, can you name every congressperson? Right. No, I have no idea. <clears throat> so I find one. I never heard of it. I Google hip hop in, you know, Vernu Tishnu. <laughs> <laughs> and I get a Be video. Careful what you say about the Vernu I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Listen, all love to the Vernu squad. <laughs> I want no beef. And Google pulls up some guy breaking out in Vernutishu. <laughs> so I'm um, like in the street. 
so by definition, it's a culture. And by definition of expansion and by electricity, I'm mean, using by electricity because it's connected <laughs> by electricity. You can be part of that culture no matter who you are, or where you're from. And I don't know that there's anything else that really welcomes everybody in the world, depending, regardless, regardless of, <laughs> I know you hate that, regardless of your nationality, your background, your skin color, your language, your religion, your ideology, your thought process, your, your, whether you're disabled or not. There's a whole movement of, of disabled folk doing hip hop. That's absolutely in its essence doesn't always work this way in in reality, but on paper, nothing more inclusive. Okay, so beyond just a now I'm preaching, beyond just a clever title, beyond the fact that you're tapped into something that is pretty universally understood. I think now way more appreciated than it used to be, and people now having an idea that this isn't just music; it's an expression of culture, and now there's a heritage attached to it because it's been fifty years. Right. So you are tapping into something, but you make a pretty bold statement just in the title of the show (laughs) that it can also save America. So as we are, this is a great intersection for us because we are unfucking the Republic. Unfucking hip hop was not available. It wasn't. No. All right. So maybe I registered everything. (laughs) I wonder how that happened. Um, But, you know, to the extent that you have your thesis statement within the title of the show. Right, right, right. um, What was the the genesis for that? Like, what was the idea behind doing that particular? Because you could have just done a, you could have done a hip hop critique show. Mm-hmm. You could have done a, a, a historical show. I mean, you could, and, and I've seen you lecture on a, a pretty vast array of topics, right. but you specifically wanted to lean into the socio-political aspect of hip hop and how it can, I guess, influence events. What can you expand for, for unfucking the Republic audience? Can you expand on the general thesis of the show? Yes. So it is a lofty idea, right? And yeah. we may need, and I often say, we may need more than just hip hop. Certainly, it's not like this is the panacea. Is that right? The panacea, indeed. Yeah. Uh, no, Pangea. I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> a quick step back is when, as an independent journalist covering hip hop in the New York area mm-hmm. for many years, I ran a, a birthplace magazine. I was kind of this self, I was not kind of, I was this self employed savior of music, hip hop, music, culture, music and culture in New York city. When the traditional outlets, the mainstream hip hop outlets had gone to other parts of the country that were exploding at the time, Houston, Atlanta, et cetera. And New York hip hop, New York being this Mecca as it's known of hip hop, wasn't getting the attention it deserved yet. There were still great things happening in in New York, just like there is anywhere. Mm -hmm. There's a great indie scene in every city in, in the world, but New York has some pretty formidable exciting talent things were happening so i was covering it for a while and what i started realizing i saw you talking to uh, the great silent night about uh, don't sleep on long island too that's right 100 percent. Right? That right pretty cool your little subsections he's yeah. from new brunswick new jersey new brunswick has a has a has a historic there's some music it's like they're known as a, as a college town rutgers is there my mother's hometown is new brunswick they had a they have a music scene there and they have a hip-hop scene there and it doesn't get a lot of credit but if you as he said if you're traveling from philly to new york you're probably going to have a stop in New Brunswick. So in the nineties, all the, you know, all the artists were rolling through New Brunswick. So, you know, and and performing at Rutgers. So, and these regions get, you know, unsung sometimes. But what I was running into were folks that were artists, they were performing, they were going to freestyle Mondays, shouts to them. They just celebrated 22 year anniversary of a, of what once was a weekly, then a monthly, now like a yearly showcase, but a fantastic longstanding historic, you know, showcase series in New York that was uh, built on freestyle rap battles. 
And people who are in that show are brilliant. You have to actually freestyle on stage in a battle. So it's like there's a they, there's a live band. They spin a wheel mm. and it'd be a, a topic. Food group. Like, okay, you're a shark. You're a plankton. Go. That amazes me. And, the, and then off the top of the head, you'd be like, you know, you're a shark. Yeah, everyone's scared of you. But, you know, I'm plankton. I feed all the ocean creatures. You're just a feature. You know, like, so. <laughs> that stuff. I mean. And I'm telling I'm you. always amazed. Like, I can do it. But I've said this without without equivocation. Some of the most brilliant people I've ever met are freestyle rappers that have been on stage at Freestyle Mondays. I just saw some of them yesterday. It's an art, man. Man, listen. It is a different different part of your brain. It's a whole thing. We could have a whole talk on that. What I find is that some people at that show, because they're really smart, happen to be teachers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Or they're working as, uh, you know, uh, with juvenile in a juvenile detention center and they go in and on the weekends they have workshops poetry or rap writing with the, you know, with young people who are kind of locked up for whatever reasons and having these workshops, self-esteem, self-confidence, storytelling, expression, verbalization, like all these side benefits that you get from rapping, which people don't give a lot of credit to. Less anxiety. It, all these things are improved by being, I always say like every failed wannabe rapper is a better public speaker. Mm. Yeah. Can, can, can lead meetings that work better because yeah. they've been in front of people. They, they've, they have that, they've lost that, that fear that all of us have, you know, being in front of people. Anyway. So I find people that are doing those things and I'm learning those things that I just talked about by watching them or talking to them. And I'm like, oh, then I come across programs like Fresh Prep, which is a test prep. In New York, we have the Regents exams. And every year the kids got to take the Regents exams. And you have these troubled kids in these underfunded school districts that, you know, under-resourced and underloved, and they're having trouble passing these tests. So they start, this is a New York City program. It's defunct now, but at the time they brought in an artist, teaching artist, rapper, to construct songs about the material, mm-hmm. right? And because mm-hmm. we learn by memorizing mm-hmm. and we learn songs, we, we memorize songs better than we you know, memorize paragraphs. These kids that had previously failed sometimes multiple times, 88% of them ended up passing well, I'm, afterwards. Yeah, I mean, I'm thrilled the program's defunct. Yeah. <laughs> That's a longer story. But there are other <laughs> programs like it. Science Genius exists and does the same thing through science classes. And they actually battle. So not only do you have to really be into this, you have to, you can't just do a song about, science and you know I, I made a rap about science and then okay here turn it in here you right. go teach it right you have to get on stage and perform it which means you better know it which means you better have a command of the content which means you really know your science in eighth grade ninth grade come on we were like uh, mitochondria i don't yep. know but they're putting it into the and i and, and, and i could talk forever but i'll just give you one quick anecdote and then the, so and you said how do i think that it can save america it's all leading up to it in the Science Genius Program, shout out to Dr. Christopher Emden, who's a, a brilliant educator. He's been the face of this hip-hop ed movement, right? If you go on Twitter, hashtag hip-hop ed. They always have, they have a weekly chat on Twitter, on X. And, they, you know, there's teachers all across the country that kind of subscribe, ascribe to this, this idea, hip-hop education. Science Genius says, okay, you got to battle. You do all these things. You get on stage. And then your class battles the other science class in the school. And then the school battles the other school down the block. So imagine at the end, it's an auditorium filled with, Students, teachers, friends, all cheering on kids on stage rapping about science. I mean, like, yeah, and they're giving out. It's incredible. It's incredible. Now, here's the greatest thing. I I said, what was the one that stands out to you? And they they tell me the story. They said this young lady did a, a, her rap was about biology, human biology, and what happens when you're poisoned. Okay. So in rap form, she describes how 
you first, you know, you have this feeling and you're unwell and then uh, you start having these symptoms and different things happen. And then what's happening to your organs as each organ starts to fail and it's connected to the other organ and then your heart. So she goes through this great whole thing about what happens to the human. So it's brilliant on its own. Come to find out, they said, well, how, you know, what, you know, what is this all about? Or somewhere in the song, she's using it as a metaphor for having broken up with her boyfriend and how it makes her feel. It's incredible. Mm. <laughs> so I'm like, what? I'm like, okay. So not only does she obviously have a greater understanding of, of the subject matter, his whole point sure. of this was to do well, weller, to do better in, <laughs> in science class, but she was able to get something off her chest, out of her chest. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm trying to be metaphoric too, yeah. that she may never otherwise have had the opportunity to do so. So then I start meeting mental health professionals that are saying, oh, we use hip hop all the time. I built a studio in a, you know, a room you know, half this size in the Bronx in this high school. They gave me a little grant money. And now kids come and they work out their trauma because they live in the middle of the Bronx where, you know, where the people are fresh, but where there's a lot of stuff going on. And they're able to come in and make songs and, and, and put their feelings out. And I'm a, I'm a trained therapist, so I'm able to work with them, work out their drama. But they love coming to the studio. Everyone loves coming to the studio and, and everyone like, likes to rap or pretend they can rap. So we turn that into something and, and it's, you know, and that's a heralded program. So I'm meeting all these people doing this right here in New York. And then I realized this is happening everywhere. So I had to sunset my New York focus and start the Center for Hip Hop Advocacy, which is a, an organization I wanted to build to, to house some of this information. Mm -hmm. So as a journalist, I was writing stuff. The next obvious thing to do was a podcast and, and call it this because, well, what do we need to, what does America need? I mean, if you look at it from a from a progressive angle, like we always do, well, we need equality and equity and better education and more opportunity for the for the for poor people and for people who haven't had resources. So I'm saying if your school is underfunded and I could bring in educational programs and I will take your underfunded, under-resourced and underloved students and propel them because all of this stuff has the receipts and all you can see it. You can see their better grades, 86 percent passed. You know, you're seeing their. Their advancement, their engagement is up. Their grades are up. And that's just in this one test pilot, you know, mm -hmm. Title I school that they got a grant to do. Well, number one, that can help every kid because whether you're, whether you like it or not, your kid likes hip hop, <laughs> America, like whether you like it or not, hip hop, that's the thing. They're like, I don't want hip hop in the schools. Hip hop's in the schools. It's in your students. It's already there. Right. But by ignoring it or pretending that it's or not pretending, sometimes you do pretend, but sometimes you're not aware of all of its positive attributes. You're you're doing a disservice at best. And at worst, as Chris Emden will say, you're harming your children. You're, you're committing violence against your children if you say you love them and you're not exploring these avenues that takes their culture into consideration. Right, you're denying their culture. You're denying, you know, right. a, a huge part of who they are. Right. Which, again, that's harmful. So we can, and, and when I have mental health professionals that are saying, oh, I've saved, I've probably, they won't say it because they're not going to, there's no way to measure this necessarily. But they're like, you know, kids have come up to me or, or, you know, my patients have come up to me and say, you know, you changed my life. You, you saved my life. There's a, there's a saying that goes amongst the hip hop community, hip hop saved my life. And it's a thing that organically you'll hear from different people. It's not like a, a you know, it's not like a, a slogan. Right. So, okay. And I could give you 400 more examples. So if that's the case and, and, and all these things lead to 
more opportunities. The people who teach financial literacy to, to, to kids through hip hop, something you're not getting in your school. And you talk about politics. So Dr. Bettina Love has a program called Hip Hop Civics Ed because we're not getting civics taught in school anymore. You're certainly not getting it in, in, in black and brown or poor communities. So here's a program that if you wanted to, you could purchase the curriculum, start up your own workshops, invite kids from your locale and teach them civics through hip hop, through this program that she developed. I remember you and I went to a seminar in the city with uh, you introduced me to friends of yours in Rebel Diaz. Yes. And they right. gave a seminar. It was a civic seminar mm-hmm. through the lens of hip hop, explored, explored redlining, redistricting, you know, funding political structures within an urban environment. Right. All through the lens uh, of hip hop yep. and how the culture developed over through through that time, yep. it can um, teach you all of that, and it, it can was give you so eye opening, and it was so well done and so well constructed. Yeah. So yep. let me ask you this: when you're when you're asked to, you, you go all around the country, you speak at colleges and you speak at you know seminars and events and stuff like yep. that. When you're speaking to in a university setting, let's say, mm. what's the thing that you know? having done this and, and been pr- pretty practiced at it, where do you know you're going to get them and, and finally hook them when you're in front of them? What resonates with, with your university audience between, you know, where the faculty looks at you and the kids look at you and they're like, oh, oh, yeah. wow. What's the hook? It depends on the you know, situation. Sometimes we're in a academic conference. If it's a hip hop conference, then it's a lot of preaching to the choir goes on at these things. Unless you're like, you know, uh, debuting research and you actually done like a, you know, a, a real research survey, which there's more and more of that happening, which is great. There's more, the literature now has a lot more, you know, actual hip hop scholarship and research. But a lot of it is also, I'm, I'm investigating something. They're not always so opinionated. So in a hip hop surrounding, I, I, I try not to rehash what everyone kind of already knows. So for that audience, and part of the work that I do is that the things I'm saying to you and to, to the unfuckers today, it might be eye-opening. I never thought about hip-hop in all these different ways. I've never, right? sure. I've never, never heard of this. Yeah. I've never heard of this. So part of the, the, the work is obviously getting this out to the general public because we're not in positions of green lighting. We, we can't, you know, if we're in a, a school setting, we can't sign off. On, we're not there. to sign. Someone's there signing off on this project that could help kids. But if they have a negative perception of hip-hop, you know, then they're not going to be the ones. So we're not there. So, okay. The problem is that a lot of people that, consider themselves hip-hop don't know these things either Mm. so if i'm in an academic setting and we're talking about a lot of them are historic especially this year everything's been history 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 the history of hip-hop and as we talked about the heritage and and these discussions about you know who started what where when and how and there was a a seminal book you know jeff chang's can't stop won't stop which is a great book great primer and and been like the book but there are others who say well Let's let's now you know because now we're now we have podcasts now we can get the and the uh, the elders and pioneers are still alive so we can get a lot of them to tell their stories that maybe when Jeff wrote the book and Jeff's great you know didn't have access to so there's a lot of that this year so where they're doing history I'm doing future when you're talking about hip hop fifty I want to talk about hip hop fifty one I want to say what's happening what are we doing collectively or what do we need to do as a society as a hip hop community to move forward because. We could talk about this all the way. And we could have these arguments about today's music versus yesterday's music. Oh, it's so, it's ad nauseum. It's ridiculous. You're 40 years old and you're, and the best you can do when you talk about hip hop is I don't like ice spice. <laughs> like, but, but my, my thing is, what, what do you do for a living? 
oh, I'm a, you know, whatever. How can you incorporate hip hop into your, your, your work environment? Right. What do you mean? <clears throat> well, what, what do I mean? What do I mean? Are you a, well, first of all, if you're an educator and you're not doing this, then right. do you really love this culture? <laughs> but, you know, but you don't know. They don't know either. So when I put some of these things that I just talked about today, these intersections that they know are happening, but they don't always know are happening. I think academic circles generally are not surprised by it, but you also have to tell them, you know, a lot of the knowledge comes from folks from the culture that went through the educational process. But a lot of it lives outside of the walls of academia. I'm no less intelligent about hip hop or versed in it you know, than any of those PhDs, I don't have a degree. Right. Uh, a person who's been involved in the culture, who's been a, a, a performer, you know, a mentor, but never in an academic setting is just as vital to preserving, protecting, and promoting the culture, mm -hmm. which is, that's the thing I want to get across. We have to analyze, you know, historical records. Now there's archives, there's museums. Great. We have to protect and, and, and move forward. And a lot of that has to do with, how we spend our time in these institutions. So I think for the academics, it's always like, yes, study, go back, dig up, you know, archive and all that. But also, are we bringing students up to understand that there's more you can do? It's forward thinking with the culture. Right. So shouts to Dr. Lauren Kelly at Rutgers. She does a yearly, I'm part of this program. She got a big grant for it. I'm a mentor. It's called the Hip Hop Youth Research and Activism Conference. Happens every year. It's like first and second year college students that run the conference. We just sit back and kind of mentor and guide. And then we come and do a couple of things. They pick the, they call in for proposals and the proposals by college students. And they put together the panels and the discussions and the performances. And they do it all with the idea that research and activism, not just historic, you know, right. archiving, recorded history, research and activism for the future, for the betterment of a society as a whole, because I make this argument that hip hop can save rural white America too, because again, these are tried and true practices that work across the board, but most importantly, to help rectify the disparity in the communities from whence hip hop came. Let's, let's I don't know if I answered the question, but I hope I. Yeah, no, inside. it's, it's, um, but it, it's evolving. Mm -hmm. It's new. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's 50 some, years, not a long time. It's something being designed. So, yeah. you know, there is no specific answer to it other than, yeah. you know, seeing what resonates the most with people and where you're going to get these touch points, you know? Yeah. And when it's people who don't know anything about hip hop, yeah, then, then my guess isn't from what people told me that their minds get, I do a hip hop and technology talk and I've done it in front of technology companies and, or conferences where, you know, that, that industry is not very, not filled with a lot of hip hop heads, let's just say, mm -hmm. right? And I do this whole presentation about the intersection throughout history of hip hop and technology and all the advancements that have come, not just in music, but in digital media, in streaming and all that stuff, how it evolved from mixtapes to now, you know, these sites and to SoundCloud and to now streaming services. There's a, I connect all those dots to hip hop, mm -hmm. guerrilla marketing in this new digital landscape. I do a whole thing about how hip hop's always been the remix, right? The remix culture. We take something that's made for one thing and they either don't give us access to it. And I'm using the Royal us, but certainly, you know, folks, mm -hmm. you know, from these communities, you don't get the access. You don't get the resource. I mean, hip hop was built off of these things. You don't have any of the resource. You don't have mu music programs in your school. So we don't have instruments. So we have record players. Incredible. And so we, and we, and we, and we find the break in the middle of the record where there's no singing so that we could sing over it. And we create impromptu instrumentals because we don't have access. 
So they're like, oh yeah, you sampling and and you you're stealing other music, yeah, right? Out of necessity, some other invention, right? Mm-hmm. So hip hop does this all over the place. Uh, that intersection happens all through with technology. And it's a brilliant. It's like a, an hour and a half keynote, and at the end, the revelation there is now let's go back to why aren't there hip hop heads in this industry? Why aren't you hiring them? Right. These are geniuses <laughs> that have upended every industry. Turn on your TV. I, I was watching, I forget what uh, commercial it was. Oh, Angie's List. Today, in the hotel, about to come here. Angie, you can do this when you Angie that. You can do this when you Angie that. Yo, this or that. This or that. This or that. This or that. You can do this when you Angie that. You can do this when you Angie that. You can do this when you Angie that. You can do this because Angie's where it's at. And it's like the people are hanging out while the Angie workers are working on their house. <laughs> it's, it's advertising. Mm-hmm. If you know, if you turn on TV and don't hear rap influencing advertising, it's upended that industry. It's upended uh, fashion. It's upended the mu- the music industry is on its head. Because and how of, many of those tech geeks have been sitting there coding with their headphones on, listening to hip hop all 100%, these years? hundred percent, hundred percent. But when you make the connection, so when you say, "What do they resonate with the most?" When I've done that talk, I've had people say, "We need more talks like this. This is you got to listen. Like this is me." And they're. I hope that then they go back and say, well, you know, we need to expand our talent pool, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and the other problem is that there aren't a lot of people, again, don't have access to become programmers. So they're geniuses, mm-hmm. but they're not coding. So hip hop helps with that. Shouts to Summer, again, the consulting producer for this show, who has an organization called Hip Hop Hacks, which arranged hackathons. So when you say you learned all this political, socioeconomic, historical stuff from Rebel Diaz, we can teach you anything through yeah. hip hop. And we teach computer programming through hip hop. Another uh, organization called Breakbeat Code that I've seen in four hours, in one afternoon, a 14-year-old kid who never even thought about computer programming as a thing, didn't even know it existed. It was like they're geeky and nerdy and they like computers. And someone says, "Here's we're going to teach you hip hop. We're going to teach you programming through hip hop." And they're like, oh, "I like hip hop. I like computers. Sure, let's go." And in four hours, this kid is using Python, which is a programming language. Do it's a whole workshop, bunch of kids. Ne- again, no experience, and they're building beats, loops, and they're pulling beats these loops from a repository, and they're stacking them, and you know, go for four bars, go for eight bars, uh, you know, bring in the guitars, bring in the bass line, you know. But it's not drag and drop. They have to do it by programming. That's awesome. And in four hours, these kids have built beats. Because they want that answer. Right. They want to figure that they out. They want to figure that out. Yeah. And they're all like, when are we doing this? When are we doing this again? Yeah. So through hip hop, we can use programs like that to give the kids the skills and the interest. And through hip hop, I can inspire the tech companies and the executives and the people that are hiring to look for them and make that connection. So when you say there's disparities, racial economic in the country where people don't have access to X, we can do that through hip hop. If we don't have uh, education standards that are up to the level of the world, we can do that through hip hop. If you want, and we won't talk about it because I don't know if you've heard there's a conflict going on in the world, but those folks at next level that I talked about early on that work with the U S state department and they go overseas as cultural ambassadors, Mm -hmm. they purposefully go to conflict regions Mm. and they, they're not going there like teaching. This is, we're not spreading democracy all across the world, you know, like butter. Um, your bush is better than mine. Pause. But um, so, <laughs> so, um, but they're they're actually in that 
working together, that collaborative, you teach us about your the way you do hip hop. This is we're not coming from America. This is the way you do hip hop. Right. Tell us. Right. And there's there's other there's a whole bunch of tenants in their in their work that teach you how to resolve conflict. So we maybe can save the world. And people are saying hip hop can save the world. I know that's the next podcast. Y'all give me a break. Can y'all support <laughs> this one first. And if you support this one at my Patreon, patreon.com slash Manny Faces, maybe we'll get somewhere and do the other one. But yes, I actually think it can now save the world. I gotta put that graphic up on the screen. <laughs> I gotta compete with uh, buy me a coffee. <laughs> but listen, so when it comes to, and again, I'm, now I'm preaching, but if, if you give me a societal ill, I'm looking to be able to connect the dot directly to how hip hop can help alleviate and in some cases eliminate that societal ill. It would be unbelievable <clears throat> to resolve conflicts through rap battles. It's one that way would to be amazing. One way to do it. That's what hip hop started as. If you go to the, the origin story, the gangs and the violence and the things, and then it's been African Bambada who has, is problematic, but also has this historical you know, relevancy that they brought together uh, opposing crews. And this is how they started kind of, handling their beefs let me move to politics because there you and i in show notes crossed over and uh and touched on on something that is relevant to this upcoming election and this will be in mm. uh, this will not be artfully crafted so because i want to be careful with my language so so bear with me trying to get through this question but <laughs> one of the one of the first areas that i was concerned about and I'm now more concerned about with RFK Jr., for example, coming as an independent, is that the, the Kennedy name, and specifically Robert Kennedy's name, means still has a, a lot of resonance within the older black community. That name is very, very vital because it was, uh, they, they were a seminal force during the civil rights movement. And I think there is an understanding that way more than JFK, that RFK was the one that actually wanted to move right. things forward and progress. But he, he's also been able to tap into, we had a lot of back and forth about uh, Chappelle's specials, right? Right before right. The, 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 the controversial specials on transgenderism, he had the, the special that came out uh, when Trump won the election, the we've been on that special. Right. And when he talks about a, a lot of the, the things that, I think uh, white Americans were waking up to. He, you know, had the refrain, his comedic refrain through it. It's like, we've been on that. Right. Like, you're just now seeing this. We've been on that. So some of the things that the, some of the more, I'll call them conspir conspiratorial elements that, because that's how, that's how I think a lot of white Americans are phrasing the things that are important to, uh, to RFK's movement specifically. Right. Vaccine hesitancy. Mm -hmm. We've been on that. So in the black culture, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's been a, a tremendous amount of literature about hesitancy because black people in this country have been um, experimented on. Sure. I mean, we, you know, we talked about the birth of gynecology. I mean, mm -hmm. it came specifically through through trials on enslaved people. Mm -hmm. the, Tuskegee and all the, all the other things. That, yeah. yeah, the mm -hmm. Tuskegee sure. uh, trials and also um, even just the the different outcomes within hospital right. systems when a black person is admitted for something versus a white person there, there there's vastly different outcomes yep. we had a great uh, guest in in a prior life on a different show that talked about uh, the concept of weathering 
it was it wasn't me. It was it was your show. It was on I know it was on Newsbeat. Yes. They talked about the concept of weathering. Weathering, yeah. And I think it was a sociological concept that was developed in the nineteen seventies that said that black people in America specifically, different than black people mm-hmm. anywhere else in the world, mm-hmm. had higher levels of anxiety and stress that led to hypertension, led to diabetes, right. uh earlier onset of diabetes, uh incidents of heart attacks and all those kind of things because of the pressure of being black in our society versus being black somewhere else in the world. So the idea that there would be vaccine hesitancy, which is just a reflection of a mistrust that's in the healthcare system, Mm -hmm. is something very real. And that's why I say, I I hesitate when I say conspiratorial because it's conspiratorial in the generalized white culture, but it's not conspiratorial (laughs) because the the black culture has evidence to back up that Mm -hmm. the outcomes are different within the medical system and the healthcare system. Very fair. Mistrust and distrust of uh, of law enforcement. I was just about to say, like, now you want to defund the FBI? Right. We've been on that. Right. Like, we've been saying the FBI is corrupt, for, you know, which obviously is a blanket statement and all yeah. that. But black people are like. <laughs> so that was the purview of black right. and progressive circles. That any, sure. that authority, uh, there would always be overreach whenever there was a consolidation of power. Right. And any of the, and, and the, I mean, the racist roots in particular of. Uh, the FBI, as it relates to the uh, indigenous population, okay. as an example, Fair. but then turned, I mean, early, early on to attack the black community, the ATF. Again, there's another seminal Newsbeat episode uh, interviewing uh, Johan Hari talking about oh, the, the war on drugs, the war on drugs. Yeah. Right. You know, starting with a slight from Billie Holiday. Like, you <laughs> right. know, I mean, right. just, I mean, this stuff has deep, deep roots. That is conspiratorial in white culture. It is very real within black culture. Yeah. So the long and artful introduction to this question is you and I have spoken off mic about what is happening in the in the black community as seen through the auspices of rap artists specifically Mm -hmm. who who have expressed this through art and through music. All of the things that we just talked about are known within the black community. Because they've been able to amplify it through music and through song and through dialogue, right? So vaccines might kill you. Uh, You you know, doctors are going to treat you poorly. You know, if you're you're not wealthy, uh, don't trust the law. This is how you have to act in front of law enforcement. That is spread throughout a culture through the auspices of of rap music and hip hop. Mm -hmm. And now I think we're just beginning we you know i'm taking white culture the royal we here are mm-hmm. just beginning to understand that there are prominent members of the rap community that are not just newly coming into this type of you know this type of talk but here's the here's my question there's an intersection now with the far right right that has accepted hip hop culture to a degree yeah and those what they consider that not conspiratorial elements, they have a fundamental mistrust of the government. Mm-hmm. It's a very libertarian mindset that plays out all throughout rural America. And hip hop is 50 years old and they don't have the same disdain for rap music and hip hop. As a matter of fact, it is not uncommon to see images of, you know, People riding around in pickup trucks <laughs> listening to fucking hip hop, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. it There's is a whole subgenre of hip hop. Yeah, a hundred percent. So right? yeah, sure. So so now we have this mess, right? Where it was so much easier to identify white people, black people. <laughs> I'm a Democrat. You're a Republican now. Right. 
I think it's healthy to a degree because in a, in a way it's parliamentary, mm. right? But in another way, it's really kind of confused all the angles and the lenses and the and the prognostications you can, you can make. So now you've got Dr. Cornell West, and, and one of the most progressive, you know, and and considered one of the the brightest lights in the intellectual progressive movement, running as an independent. You've got RFK mm-hmm. with that name mm-hmm. and all of this other stuff that does appeal not just to this white contingent of libertarian right wingers, right. But he's saying a lot of stuff that resonates with the black community Absolutely. that they've been saying through the auspices of rap music for a long time. Sure. And he's a fucking Kennedy. Yep. So, you know, when people say, oh, he's going to steal more from Trump. I'm like, I don't know, man, because you've got Dr. West out there. Right. You got a lot of people like me that are like, fuck, yeah, let's right. let's go. Right. I've gone into that enough. I don't have to talk <laughs> about that. Swing state and all that kind right. of stuff. But. I'm and he's gonna, not stealing your vote from Trump. He's not. And I'm voting for Cornell West because Biden's going to carry if he lives in New York. <laughs> My, so the long question is inside right now, how are people talking about politics through hip hop? Because mm-hmm. one thing about you that I love among thousands of things, one thing that I love is Only that thousands you, I mean, I, <laughs> millions? A limited amount of time. millions, no. Okay. Go ahead. Um, I mean, if you just talk about kids, it's thousands. <laughs> <laughs> I do love all your kids and that's about a thousand. One thing I love that you, that you're always careful to express is there's a lot of great hip hop happening today. I get it with the past, but like, mm-hmm. look at this underground artist. I mean, you've unearthed so many independent on the ground hip hop artists that are breaking new ground every single day. Right. What are they saying? What's what? Are you, so your ears to the ground. What's happening out there? Yeah, <laughs> and and is that some, even a fucking question? I mean, it's a thesis. With what's a, happening out there? Know, what's <laughs> going on? You know, what are you hearing? So it's like you saying know. all these things and say, "What do you think?" And I'm like, oh, <laughs> ah, is there a question?" Because it's it's a very interesting thing that's happening, and part of it, and honestly, I I as you know, I've given you and the work we do here a lot of credit because it helps me see these things in a different light where I might have not noticed a pattern before. So when you say like the the right, the people on the right like hip hop, they might, they they to a degree, as uh, as black folk like to say, is like you love the culture but you don't love the people. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. The same as they would have listened to jazz or they right. would have listened 100%. to blues, right? right. They don't Even have to like who's playing it, but they, <laughs> they would invite them to come play for them. Right, but not right. to dinner. Right. Um yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of that. The way I came into this, look at this intersection. And, and okay, so certainly, there are two things in your question. The one is, you know, all the great hip hop that's being done now and all this stuff. And I, I do want to, and maybe I'll come back to it, but I do want to say that there are, hip hop gets this new reputation of not having its old reputation of it was once this counterculture, this, you know, go against the, the, the man, go against the system. Again, we just talked about earlier how hip hop created was totally come in the back door, you know, and do things differently, do it our own way. You can't stop us. We can do it anyway. And, and that's at the, the DNA of hip hop. It's like when I was lamenting, you know, where's the soundtrack to the revolution Right. when we were, you know, doing Occupy together and you're like, uh, it's hip hop. And I'm like, oh yeah, Yeah, exactly. And you know, and look, you're not the only one. Questlove, who is a much admired and we love Questlove. I have to preface this. I, you know, I have no problem with him. I would, we'll call people out in the, in the culture. Questlove, during, uh, right after Ferguson, right after Michael Brown was killed by police in Ferguson, uh, he put out, you know, and there was some time after that. I think it was like later that year, four or five months. And he put out a, a, an Instagram post basically saying what you said. You know, we need more protest music. We need more emphatic 
anthem because it doesn't have to be fight the power you know what i mean but i need to see our artists doing things i know when the dixie chicks did it they were blacklisted and you know so he's bringing up all these things and he goes i'm talking to all musicians but specifically to my hip-hop it's an unbelievably mainstream take yeah, yeah. well he, well that's the thing so here's my point it's very interesting you say that so then he says but i'm speaking specifically to my hip-hop artists like that's that's us that's our lane why aren't we doing that we need new public enemies we need new da 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 so i said oh that's interesting to your point that I know of a bunch of people that are doing a bunch of things. I, so I responded, I, I use it in, in a couple of my talks and I say, well, here's the problem quest from the point that Michael Brown got killed to the point that you released that Instagram post. Here are eight songs released by mainstream artists. I'm talking about Diddy, the game, uh, De La Soul featuring Chuck D from the old public enemy. They put out songs about Michael Brown. And what you just did is, you know, give them no, they're no not love. Good enough, yeah. That, 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 that not even that you don't you don't even, that you don't even know. Mm-hmm. Now what happens is a million people who follow <laughs> Questlove is like, yeah, man, that's right. Yo, hip hop used to be about that. Yo, yo, hip hop doesn't do that anymore, man. I wish to. That's why I don't even listen to new hip hop. And I just gave you eight, and those were known artists, and I did that purposely because I could give you a thousand. That are not known. The rebel. You don't think Rebel Diaz was still making music, right? About Ferguson and, right? Um. Oh, oh, oh his name's gonna slip my mind. Oh my God, Tef Poe, from St. Louis, was doing protest music before, during, and after, mm-hmm. and he's right there. He knows who then went on to get a, a a fellowship, the Nazir Jones, named after Nas, the artist, the Nazir Jones Fellowship at the African American Research Center at Harvard University. He went out to become a fellow there. And Questlove, I've heard of it. yeah, and some Harvard, Harvard. You have to say Harvard. So now, now you recognize it, right? When I say Harvard, now oh, you, yeah, Harvard. Harvard. Yeah. And um, where I, I mean, I've I've spoken there once or twice, but you, you you're discounting all of that. Y'all just catch the humble brag with uh <laughs> with dismissing all of this by saying it doesn't. We don't do that anymore. So I do want to say that obviously there are artists, some of them mainstream, but I don't. I'm, my personal take is I don't care if. You suddenly you jump on the protest bandwagon and put out a song protesting something somebody that no I don't care you weren't doing that before that's not your lane stay in your lane you know what I mean I don't need Jay Z to make a song about you know something that's happening I do need him to continue funding Khalif Browder documentaries and uh, bailing people out of jail and doing some of the criminal justice reform stuff that he may or may not be doing longer story but I don't need to make a song that's not impactful. What's impactful? Go ahead. So what's happening today though? Okay. So right. I, I just wanted I wanted to give credit and say that all that stuff is ongoing and it's you know there's still mm-hmm. these things happening. So when I talk about, you know, the hip hop civic ed program, like that's these things are still in existence. There there are small grassroots organizations in every place, you know, probably in every city that are hip hop oriented. So you remember, it's not just music. It's a culture, right? It's so if we have a young kind of with it you know, organization that's on the ground. There's a huge one called the Hip Hop Caucus, which is going around and their their main focus is environment, climate change. Mm-hmm. And they're very focused on merging those two worlds. They speak at panels, they speak at ent- entertainment panels, they bring artists who are, you know, uh, into the cause, into the movement. They get funding, they put out, they send out newsletters, they ask, you know, sign this, this pledge, uh, write your congressman, right? You know, so this is happening all over the place. I actually shared the stage in front of the Capitol building with uh, Representative Sidney Kamliger-Dove. Uh, she's from California. She put in a House, U.S. United States House resolution uh, declaring, you know, the 50th year of hip-hop. So it was like a, you know, celebratory kind of resolution. 
But at that press event was the Hip Hop Caucus, and they were there, and they're doing these things in, in D.C. So these organizations exist. They're trying to get the political message out. They're trying to get people involved to be involved politically, civically. But what we're fighting is the same thing that progressivism is fighting. You have social media, misinformation, disinformation. You have these conspiratorial elements. Ky, you know, Kyrie Irving was pushing the same vaccination stuff. Right. And, and, and black folk were, you know, yes, yes, Kyrie's right. And I'm like, I mean, you know, I see where you're coming from. Like, traditionally, these are things that you have to worry. I don't think in this case he's right. Mm -hmm. I think that because then we see greater damage in the, in the black communities from people not getting vaccines. And, and you know, that, that's during COVID, that was tragic. We did stories about that in Newsbeat and how, much, and how worse off black communities were because they come in with all these pre-existing, you know, weathering PTSD caused conditions. And, and so we're battling that. And I think the answer, the way to save or to, you know, educate or to inform or to involve or to inspire is the grassroots small organizations. But let me ask, let me ask this even tighter, because yes. there's two ways that the black electorate in the United States impacts the outcome of elections. And they do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as as uh, a black woman, especially. And you could say that, you know, it's you don't want to treat the black vote as a monolith. I get it except that by mm -hmm. the numbers, mm -hmm. it's as monolithic as it gets, right? Okay. So, I mean, we're talking about upwards of 90% figures within the black community voting Democrat. Right. But how many right. is typically how the vote is really exercised. Correct. Turnout is everything. Yes. So, but, so my, I guess my fear right now mm -hmm. is... I don't know that the Biden administration has done enough to co to connect in any man. I just said I'd ask this in a better, tighter way. Right. No, I'm agreeing with you in advance because I know where you're going with it. And I agree. Anybody that that wants to understand, uh, you, know, you know, I'm a fan of Brianna Joy Gray. Right. Yes, sir. Watch her debate with Crystal and Kyle. Mm. It is so illuminating because there's so many parts of what she of what Brianna is saying. Mm that they can't hear. Right. When I say right. that they can't hear it, it's like she's saying words and they're like, but that's just wrong. Right. Much like the vaccination argument where people are like, no, it doesn't. You, the medical community doesn't hurt you. It helps you. Like it, they, <laughs> right. they can't hear right. it right. because of a place that right. I can't, I don't come from, but I can appreciate if I listen carefully. Yes. And I've listened the way that you've taught me to listen to certain things. Like mm -hmm. if you pick up these things and, and you can pick up on the language of it, she was expressing something that they simply couldn't hear. Right. And it's the same expression that I feel that the Biden administration can't hear either. Right. Right. And certainly can't relate. If you can't hear it or understand it, you don't know how certainly to address not. it. Yeah. And, and no, they're not the doing Obama administration. Also didn't, couldn't hear it. No. I'm sorry. No. There is no administration. You you would have to go back to Robert Kennedy <laughs> to find right. somebody who heard it. LBJ knew the political advantages right. of it, but he couldn't hear it. So anyway, so okay. what I'm saying Got is it. like, I think it, it could be a combination of it. Listen, if it's 2% that peels off right. and goes for RFK Jr. because he's on the ballot, uh, Kennedy's on the yeah. ballot. And then if it's just X amount of people who stay home, yes, I don't think that you see, you see the, I, the I, Democrats are sitting back right now and they're licking their chops for the same reason that Crystal and Kyle sat there and couldn't hear Brianna's argument. Yes. 
because they don't understand there's a whole other thing happening out there. Right. This isn't go up and and have the barbecue right. late <laughs> right, October, right, 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 to get all the black no, vote lined no. up and then do nothing for the next no. four years, uh, right? Uh, yeah, and great thing was all the contestants that went on the Breakfast Club, you know, during the primaries, the Democratic primaries, and the one that they showed, uh, you know, Charlemagne was really partial to was uh, Pete Buttigieg. And then he said, no, you know, we, we love you. Like, we, you know, we love. And then he went to South Carolina, got 0% of the, of the, of the vote. So the, it's like, no. Uh -huh. And that's, so, and we're talking about hip hop, but. Yeah. That won't be the case for RFK. No, no, I agree with you. Um, in fact, and I don't know. So this is what, you know, as you know, this is kind of what triggers it. Because I don't know how much of it is purposeful. Because we talk so much about the right seeding sentiment. Yeah. Right. And, mm -hmm. you know, turning uh, uh, two weeks to turn a, a 19 year old radical. Right. Yep. Remember? Yep. Uh, what was it? The uh, PragerU mm -hmm. Prager episode. So I hear about that stuff and I learn all this stuff. This great stuff that we do. And then I see that um, uh, DJ Academics was a, a provocateur. He's a he's a I don't know how to explain this guy. He's he's a media figure, but he loves to to uh, to to troll and to dabble in the negativity of hip hop, right? And listen, mm. I haven't said it, we haven't gone there, but of course there's all the things that you don't like about hip hop in hip hop. Sure. Of course. He feeds off of that mm -hmm. and amplifies it and creates an audience for that. And there are thousands and thousands of thousands of people that watch his little online commentaries. He was banned from Twitch, he's big on Twitch, just talking, just talking about stories and talking about all the beefs and, you know, people who are using the music to attack other people, you know, threaten them, the violence that comes out of that feeds off of it, which then perpetuates it. So when we talk about culture vultures, longer talk. But he was banned from Twitch. Uh, for, you gotta be pretty fucked up. You gotta be pretty banned. fucked up to be banned from <laughs> Twitch. And like more than once. And when he was, he was approached by Rumble. Sure. The and free Rum speech platform. Right. And 100%. Rumble said, come on to our site. And he was like, yeah, we'll, get, we'll give you a bag. We'll give you money. We'll come on to the site. We'll, you can host here. And he's like, yeah, so cool. Now, his audience isn't on Rumble. Like, in other words, he's not going to get not, more people. Not so, yet. Right, right. He's not going to get more people by being on Rumble. He's not going to increase his numbers. In fact, they'll drop because not everyone's going to come over to Rumble. Sure. But the ones that do are now in the Rumble ecosystem. Now yeah. your digital footprint is captured, and I could target you with all the seemingly innocuous PragerU type, you know, things to try to sway your opinion to a group of people that we couldn't previously touch. Yeah. Black folk. Through? Hip hop through this dude. Should I go get a bag of money from Rumble on fuckers and then just use that? To find <laughs> you can do it. Like go to Rumble. So now that's something. Like now, anyone who goes to DJ Academic show on Rumble is now in the algorithm, and we could serve you. We could retarget you because we, you know, I know about digital marketing. I know how you could retarget and yep. you know, you know, and hit them on other platforms yep. and follow yep. them around the the web you and bet. start serving them all this stuff. Like, oh, I don't know, vaccines don't work, right? You know, give him a lot, you know, boost Kyrie Irving's, you know, out, you know, uh, post in the algorithm so that when probably a right wing, I don't think they plan exactly that RFK would be the guy, but like their right wing, you know, Ron DeSantis, you know, runs and says, hey, you know, vaccines. Am I right? Black folk, mm -hmm. black folk have now been, you know, because they've been so. Yep. So I don't know how purposeful that was to bring him in. But there's, there's somebody at Rumble who's like, ooh, we could get black people's attention. Mm -hmm. We couldn't get that before. Then I see RFK appear as a guest on Math Hoffa's 
podcast called My Expert Opinion, which is a very widely watched podcast. And they normally interview rap personalities from the past. And, you know, great conversations. Uh, shout out to my boy Mecca. He's one of the, the, the co-hosts on the show. I know him. Um, I don't know math, but, you know, it's a good show. And But RFK's on there. And I'm like, that's weird because... That was the one thing that was pretty widely publicized. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I don't think Math Hoffa and M, I don't know. My guess is that they didn't reach out to RFK. Mm. My guess is that RFK reached out to them. Mm-hmm. And they, not being a politically oriented show, and I'm not saying their political IQ isn't up to where it needs to be, but if Robert That's Kennedy- That's not their lane, yeah. Right, it's not their lane. Yeah. But if Robert Kennedy says, hey, I'd like That's to be on I'm your saying. show- and they're like, yeah, hell yeah, Robert Kennedy, bro, come That's through. That's what I'm saying. And the, the first 20 minutes was him growing up, you know, in the, you know, in the, in the White House or, you know, wherever he was when he was a kid. Yeah. And this, this legacy, this, you know, the Camelot extended. So now you get this like favorable opinion to this guy who then goes off and doesn't matter what he says, because you're only going to take sound clips anyway. No one's watching the whole interview anyway. But you got Robert Kennedy now on a hip hop podcast. Yep. And so anyone who's vaguely aware of that thinks that he's so aligned. So in a different way, because you and I were talking about this during the Bernie campaign about how Killer Mike had attached himself mm. and it didn't matter. It didn't resonate. Bernie really never pulled from the black community in the way that he, that you would hope a populist progressive message would would pull from the black community. Right. right. But here now we have not one, two. We've got RFK Jr. Right. And you've got Cornell West, who is as divisive in the black community yeah, as sure. pretty much just anybody else. Well, everybody is. You, we could talk about Will and Jada and you'll have people on either <laughs> side of that argument all day right now in the black community. There's no consensus. That's why there's no monolith. Trust right, me. Right. I, you know, I know my friends, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, you know. But when it, you know, when it comes to Dr. West, there are, he went after Obama so hard that you see like he he even had that that huge split with Tanasi Coates, which was so devastating for the for people in the progressive movement, because you're like, these are these are the two voices that we now want to amplify going forward. This is great. This is black scholarship. This is at the highest level. And then there was a fracture there. But there's a thousand other fractures that are. Again, to us, mm-hmm. we can't see them. We can't hear them. Right. They're unseen. Right. And, but, but I have this sense now that it's not being built into the democratic calculus of what's about to happen over the next year and that the black vote may actually be more fractured mm-hmm. than at any other time save for Jesse Jackson being in the mix. Okay. Right. Had Jesse Jackson run as an independent. Holy shit. That's what right. percentage of the vote would that guy have gotten? Right. Oh my goodness. Right. Because the numbers of the in the what the primary, right? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean it, was, it was formidable. It was a horse race. Yeah. I think it was four the, the, the electoral count in the primary is like fourteen hundred to a thousand. And they had to pull out all of the fucking stops right. to get him off the ballot. Right. And they didn't go after him for vice president after that. They just snubbed him entirely That's just true. to kind of quash the entire movement. Yeah. Black people have a long memory. Oh, they yeah. Know the, that. They know what the fuck happened there yes. to, to, in a way that we don't. Again, I keep saying the we, the royal we, right. representing the, 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 the white part of, of, of society in America. I just don't think that the pollsters are going to tap into it. I don't think that people understand the, the level yep. that, again, you, so when I hear hip hop can save America, in a lot of ways, I, I, I really agree this year because <laughs> right. how else? It can also damage America. Well, it could if it propagates some of the theories right. that we know to be harmful to That's the institution. That's what's happening. But then again, right. 
the fuck are we to say? Right. Because right. Right, lived right. experience and lived reality is Fair enough. more real. Your personal reality, whatever your experience was sure. that informs your worldview is reality. Right. And we all have our own one. So that's why I say hip hop really could save America this go around if not those big names that, that we 100%. all know about on the ground. 100%. If there was a different chatter. And 100%. they started to, you know, That's, to coalesce around a, but what are they going to do? Start rapping about Biden? Lectures and conferences about Biden. I mean, we're missing the boat. Well, the furtherance of the work, my work, is, is that. So, yes, I was stumbling to find who's doing what now because it's all small. It's all grassroots. It's some organizations. It's the Hip Hop Caucus, which is big. I don't, I don't necessarily endorse them. I, they're a big organization. They do some work, but I don't know. I haven't investigated. Big hip hop nonprofits is a hip hop public health is a great nonprofit. I've I've interviewed them. They put on great galas. They raise a lot of money and they bring public health awareness to the communities through hip hop. I don't endorse them. I don't know what how much money they're spending. I don't know the real effectiveness of their work. I have to investigate that. So when I say like the small, you know, generally those are the ones I trust. You know, Rebel Diaz had a thing in the Bronx called the Rebel Diaz Arts Collective. When, when, they, when they were in the Bronx and they had a, it was a small community organization where they brought in kids and they taught them how to do music, but they also taught them, you know, Rebel Diaz, they're going to teach you that revolutionary po politics. Oh yeah. They're teaching you that. So what Rebel Diaz did in the Rebel Diaz Arts Collective was more effective to raise civic awareness and raise the next generation of at least progressive, if not revolutionary thinkers in the world. The rate of effectiveness is better than any of the big names, anything that they could do. I think they probably had more people registered to vote than Diddy's entire vote or die campaign, which was all over the, oh the media God. for years. So I know we're getting long in time. Nobody's doing it on the, in the political spectrum. They're not, a, I don't want to say using, it's a terrible word. Because again, you can't use hip hop in a way for positivity unless you're authentically connected to it, right? So you'll mm -hmm. see a politician grab a killer mic. You know, uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms did this in, in, in Atlanta. You know, T.I. And, and, and Killer Mike, fine. That's cute. You know, no one's going to change. No yep. one's going to become politically involved because you brought Killer Mike on stage. Because if you're there oh, no. at the rally, you're already politically involved. This right. You're not bringing anyone in. So they're, they're not doing it. It is the grassroots, on the ground organizations. Right. But there's no coalition. There's no uh, database. There's no talking to each other. I'm finding them out like, personal like i'm throughout the country i'm learning of them and i know of, and i'm interviewing them try to amplify them but are we putting them into a coalition no i have a campaign in mind that uh, i'm you know talking ahead of time to literally ask every politician of note in the country what's your hip-hop policy like how are you working hip-hop into your campaign into your into your campaign into your into your messaging because no one is here's the other thing i was gonna say no one cares. No, like young folks don't care about Cornell West. Right. They no. don't care about RFK, but they saw RFK on Math Hoffa. Immediately, he's winning the hip hop crowd over Cornell West because Cornell West isn't on Math Hoffa. My oldest son is a good bellwether for this because I'm sure he knows who RFK is yeah. because he saw him on Math Hoffa. He's the target audience. He's 30 something. He's you know, right in that kind of lane. But he probably doesn't even know who Cornell West is or bear, no, doesn't. Ah, yeah, I know him. But yeah, I heard of that guy. I heard of that guy. Yeah. But RFK, man, Kennedy, mm -hmm. Math Hoffa. Mm -hmm. Well, my fear is that the right's figuring this out. 
That right. that was my thesis of the 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 far right infiltration of hip hop piece that I wrote, and I'm doing some more. That's so when they when they so now Ice Cube is on Tucker Carlson. Why? Mm-hmm. Why? Why mm-hmm. would Tucker Carlson go for Ice Cube? Because someone, one puppet master somewhere. Oh, but th- that wasn't the question, Manny. Okay. The question. No, I'm yeah. saying why? Oh, why oh, would Tucker right. go for? Right. The question wasn't you know that it was <laughs> right. well. Why would Ice Cube go to Tucker? And it's like again. <laughs> Right. You're not listening. You're not paying right. attention. Right. You don't know the answer to that question. Right. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. It makes sense. It makes perfect sense. The, it, you can, you could be a, a black rap artist in America and be on the right. <laughs> of course you can. You could, you know, you could believe and, and, and honestly believe that that's the better path for you. You know, you, I don't know if Candace Owens is performing or not, but there are a lot of people who agree with all of these things. I think there's a very big difference between the black conservative who is still considered I, I believe so. Like I, I watch FD signifier. I think it's, you know, one of the better, oh, yeah. run, right. One of the better channels They're, talking about the black conservative movement is entirely different than talking yeah. about a libertarian oriented right. black vote. Right? right. Right. And if the Democrats don't understand their constituency be, that they have absolutely taken for granted yeah. since forever. Yeah. If they don't understand where, where that constituency is landing right now in right. the moment, they're 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 going to miss certain obvious cues. They did they did and it. That's with where I go back to like that's where I go back to Bannon. That's where I go back right. to. There are people on the right who are who know the algorithms, right. who are figuring this shit that's out, right. and who understand, I think, in a much deeper way, how to tap into sentiment and extract what's valuable from there to get an RFK on the right podcast, right. Yeah. Whereas the Democrats are going to keep running the same playbook and the same playbook. What was, what was really. They'll put them on the breakfast club, which did nothing for them. Exactly. So what was extraordinary and, and, and new (laughs) during the Obama years, you know, because that's the, that's who's still running everything is the Obama campaign playbook. That's still, that, that's still what's running everything. It worked for Obama because Obama was a black man. Right. And (laughs) also. Got the youth involved, yeah, to run the campaign. That's right. And that youth that ran the campaign, they're in their forties now. Right. They're in their oh, late thirties and forties. They're not the young people anymore. Right. They don't know how to tap into they sentiment. Do not know how to they're tap still in. running the same fundraising emails. Right. They're still running the same ads on the right. same algorithms, right. and they're still fighting that. That's right. If we don't recognize that we're, you know, the reason Donald Trump got elected in the first fucking place, but lost the majority is because the majority of people fell into algorithmically the shit that he was pushing. Right. You know, and it's those guys that made the difference. It's the Bannons of the world. Bannon is so far ahead with understanding where the black culture movement is yep. today. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, so I guess that's my biggest fear. All right. So. I was going to say one thing. I was going to say, yeah. you know, there were so many people that didn't like Hillary Clinton because of Haiti. Mm. And ask anybody on the Democratic side if, if they if, thought about that. And they'd be like, what, what, do you, what does that even mean? Right. Right. I thought it was the hot sauce in the purse. <laughs> that right. Was so offensive, That's what I'm saying. Right. No, they don't think about this. No, they, they don't. don't think about it. Yeah. So, yes, you're right. They don't know their, their, their constituency. They're losing probably every time. Also her emails. Butter, butter emails. Butter emails. Anyway, so yes. Listen, we got to wrap. I know so long. It's like a show notes. Um, because <laughs> we got meetings here, but also you got to get into the city to get your award, which is so well-deserved. And, and so what I want to close on is just to, again, say thank you 
for being such an extraordinary producer. But I'm so happy that we could have these moments together as well so that we can introduce some of the other lanes. It's, I'm, I'm always amazed at the intersections that we're, that we're able to find in the, in the work that's being done. And I would encourage every unfucker to obviously download Hip Hop Can Save America to your podcast app. Let's, let's get those subs up as well because tide lifts all boats, as I'm fond of saying. Mm. Um, but I do think that we're, we, need to have, we need to start cross-pollinating the feeds in this way but, and cross-pollinating our, our understandings. Um, I'm, I would like to link to your uh, far-right infil- infiltration article. Uh, we'll obviously put up all the things. And um, just want to say, I love you. The unfuckers love you. You get a lot of love on this show as you deserve. <laughs> and uh, thanks for coming in, brother. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. I appreciate the unfuckers. Thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate the love. And I do appreciate the work that we do here. And and it's funny. I look at everything through this, you know, hip hop lens. So I, my plumbers at the house, I'm like, oh, how good plumbing, you know, like, can you, you know, how can, how can we, you know, put a hip hop, you know, style into plumbing, everything. But Politically, you know, my economically, so sociologically, the stuff that we cover here, I do find a lot of inspiration and, and, and knowledge from and ways to connect these dots that I, I think can help both movements. And I think that that, though, that tide, you know, can actually help uh, lift boats. So I appreciate it. All right, unfuckers, uh, we will catch you. The next thing you'll see from us is probably the part one, really part two, but it's the part one of the Israel-Palestine um, series that we're doing and, um, yeah, a bunch of new stuff after that. So don't forget to like, and subscribe to what's happening on YouTube for us. Don't forget to, uh, give us a a review. If you haven't left a review yet for the show, that really helps with the algorithm. And while you're at it, download hip hop can save America, leave it a review, make sure it's five stars. Okay. (laughs) And, um, yeah, we'll catch you when we catch you. Thanks so much for tuning in, Manny. Thanks again. Peace and love. See you later. And the Best Actor Oscar goes to Manny Faces. (laughs) 